If you would, remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We continue our study in Romans 1, and uh, as I said, the first week we haven't gotten very far, and we will continue not to get very far this morning. So, Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, I will read verses 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May I add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. So by way of a reminder of taking a week off from Romans, uh, first and foremost, Romans is about God, specifically the gospel of God. Martin Luther said this concerning the epistle of Romans, Romans is the chief part of the New Testament and the very purest gospel. This epistle is concerned about setting forth the righteousness of God in the gospel because this is God's gospel, this is not man's gospel. This is God's gospel. So let's be reminded briefly of the setting of Rome. Remember, Paul has never been there. He has longed to be with them. He hopes to be with them. And from week one, getting back to verse one that we looked at, Paul did eventually make it there, but he made it there in chains. But he is writing to people whom he has never met. He has heard about their faith. So Rome, with a population of over one million souls, being the largest city in the world at the time of this writing, there was innumerable pagan gods that were being worshipped. So the Roman culture, they were content with adding Jesus Christ to their list of gods. That was not a problem for them. They worshipped many gods. They were content with that. But they were not content with declaring, as the Christians did, that there is one God and that salvation is found in this one God alone. You see, Romans is about Jesus Christ and the truth of his righteousness. And that without Christ, there is no good news. There is no payment for sins. There is no justification before a holy God. You see, one day, Scripture teaches us that we will all, as individuals, stand before the Lord and we will give an account. And the only way in which that individual, you, me, will be declared righteous if, is if that you and I have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior, that Jesus, we have come before him, we have repented of our sins, and we have trusted in Christ, in Christ alone, for our salvation. This is what Romans is all about. It is setting forth with great clarity that righteousness is found 
in Christ, in Christ alone. It's about Christ. A quick reminder from verse 1. Paul opens up by declaring that he is a slave, that he is an apostle, and that he's been set apart for the gospel of God. He says, I have been purchased by Christ, meaning I am a slave. He has purchased me. I have been called by Christ. I am an apostle. He has called me. I've been set apart by Christ. He has set me apart, and he did it for the gospel of God. We were reminded that on the Damascus Road, Paul was entering into that city for one purpose and one purpose alone. He had orders in his hand from men to go into that city to get Christians and to drag them to jail and to persecute them. But that did not happen, did it? As he is marching down that road to Damascus, the Lord saved him. Paul had no choice in the matter. For Paul was God's chosen instrument to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. God's righteousness was thrust upon Paul. He says, I have been purchased, I have been called, I have been set apart. Purchased, called, and set apart for the gospel of God. Paul is not boasting about who he is. He is boasting about whose he is. That he belongs to the Lord. That the one that I was persecuting, that when Christ said to me, he says, why are you persecuting me? Christ included his church in that statement with the word me. That he is saying, the one who is now I was persecuting, I am now redeemed by his blood because he has called me to himself. He's boasting about whose he is. He is writing to the church in Rome to souls whom he has never met to make clear the gospel of God. And he has this authority because he is an untimely born apostle. Paul kept verse 1 upon his heart as he lived. Can we say the very same of us? We need this to be true of us. Let us remember this verse when we read Romans in its entirety. Let us keep this verse as a foundation verse for us when we wake up each day and live that we have been purchased by Jesus Christ. We are a slave of Christ. We have been called by Christ. We have been set apart by Christ for him and his gospel. It is his gospel. Verse 2, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. From the Holy Scriptures, we learn so much about the Lord. In fact, it's our only area in which we learn about him. It's where we go. We will go to the Word of God to learn who he is and the truth that God is providentially ruling over all things. There is nothing that has happened in your lifetime or my lifetime in which God has not orchestrated. Nothing. All that we see and don't see is His. He is actively working. His good, holy will is being accomplished. Verse 2 informs us that the gospel of God was promised and planned by God. The gospel of God was promised and planned by God. In other words, the fall of Adam and Eve did not take God by surprise. Satan, the father of lies, did not cause the Lord to wring his hands in heaven, wondering, I wonder what I'm going to do now. He has messed everything up. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, was not an afterthought. It was not a response. All that happened, all that is happening, all that will happen, 
It's part of God's perfect plan. The gospel of God was promised and planned by God. Christ coming to this earth, that was not plan B. That was plan A. Christ coming to this earth, Christ laying down his life, being crucified, dead, buried, and raised, this was part of God's perfect plan. Our great God does not react like we do. This is where, as God's children, we say, praise God. He doesn't react. He's always accomplishing his perfect will. He doesn't react to things. He knows all things about everything and everyone, and he is orchestrating it all for his holy name. Some people today speak as if God has changed or God is changing. As if the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. Even further, others believe that God is different today than he was at the writing of the New Testament. I love the words of Odi Bauckham concerning the whole of Scripture, concerning the Old Testament and the New Testament. The furniture in the temple has not moved. The lights have just been turned on. It is clear who God is. And all that the Lord was doing, the Old Testament sacrifices, the temple, the priests, the shadows, and the types, it was all pointing to Jesus Christ. Christ came and he turned the lights on. All the prophets pointed to him. And after 450 years of silence, John the Baptist prepared the way and Jesus began his ministry. And as he was walking down that road, John pointed to Christ and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then it began. God did not decide to go a different direction in Genesis because things were not working out as he planned. And the things that happen in our life, it's not as if God is responding and had no clue about what was happening. He was orchestrating it all for his perfect will. And for us as God's children, if we are a child of God, if we have repented of our sins and believed in him for salvation, it is for our good as well. Many times, as God's children, we don't think that way. When crisis hit, when struggles hit, when hardships hit, we think, how could God allow this to happen? And we don't think that God is orchestrating it all for us to consider our ways and for us to just trust him and to know him and to live for his glory. Our great God does not change. He is working in history at all times to fulfill his holy, perfect will. Numbers 23, 19 teaches this. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Malachi 3, 6, for I, Yahweh, do not change. Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Genesis 3, verse 15, was the first mention of God's gospel. God's prophets in the Old Testament were all sent by him to speak of the promise of God's gospel, a promised righteousness in which people in the Old Testament believed in for salvation. So let us take a few moments and look it's some Old Testament scriptures, and I encourage you to write these down. Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. We find this. 
Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares Yahweh. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them. I will write on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know Yahweh, for they shall all know me. For the least of them to the greatest, declares Yahweh. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. You see, in the Old Testament, Jeremiah was speaking to a day that was going to happen in the future. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. And Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, 6 and 7 For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the governor government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of the peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and over the kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will do this. You see, When we get to the New Testament, we see this extremely clear, that this is what they were speaking about, that the prophets were pointing to, were speaking to, that Jesus Christ is the righteousness, Jesus Christ is the payment. Isaiah 53, 1 through 12, it clearly describes what happened. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one who from men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has bore our griefs, and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. He has put him to grief. 
For when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, and the will of Yahweh shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. These words make many to be accounted righteous. It's speaking of the work of Christ. That outside of Christ, outside of the promise of Christ, outside of the promise of righteousness, there is no one who is going to be saved. You see, God's prophets in the Old Testament discussed the new covenant that was to come, the new heart, the Spirit of God. God does not change. All that He did in the Old Testament is made extremely clear in the New Testament by Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is very imperative. It is much needed as Christians that we do not just read the New Testament. We must read the Old Testament to completely understand the New. It says, the light has been turned on. Jesus is that light. He is the clarity. He is God. He is salvation. Look at Romans 1 verse 2. It says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures. So God has not changed. The Old Testament prophets were not wrong. The Old Testament scriptures were not wrong. Jesus turned the light on. Jesus himself said on a few questions, Occasions as he was rebuking those who were confronting him selfishly and sinfully, he said, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. We find that in Matthew 22 and Mark 12. And Jesus also said, have you never read in the scriptures? According to Matthew 21, God's word is holy. It is breathed out by him, telling us of him and what he commands of us. Paul declared holy scriptures in Romans 1 verse 2, referring to all of the Old Testament scriptures. This is so significant. Nowhere else in the scriptures do we find these two words together, holy scriptures. That's why if you have a great Bible in your hand and you turn to it, it says holy Bible. We are saying that these is breathed out by God for us to know him and to know how we are to live. Paul, when writing this, he was referring to Old Testament scriptures and how fortunate we are to know that the Old Testament and the New Testament are both breathed out by God and that there is no other holy scriptures. There is not another testament of Jesus Christ. We have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. There is not holy tradition. There are not holy pastors and holy popes who have more words from the Lord. There is only the holy scriptures. And these scriptures alone are inspired, inerrant, infallible, and they are sufficient. Now, when I say the word sufficient, I know what many of you think. You're probably thinking they are sufficient in a church for teaching. Amen. You are right. The scriptures are also sufficient for you in your life. 
They are sufficient with whatever you're going through, whatever your struggles are, whatever your heartache, whatever your trial, they are sufficient. Because if we know the Lord, we don't have to know everything that the Lord is doing. We just have to know Him. We have the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Bible is the sole infallible source of authority for Christian faith as well as practice. How blessed we are to know the truth concerning the Scriptures and how blessed we are to have the Scriptures because many still do not. I'll never forget my first mission trip to Africa, going overseas, and we had spent time with the Yolanka people group, and we literally got into a car, and we were traveling all day to go and try to find more Yolankans. We, we did not know what was going to happen. We were ready and prepared. The sun was going down. And we were prepared to spend the night in the car. So we got out of the car so the car could make it up the hill. And as we did, we climbed up the top of the hill and some children saw us and they ran. The next thing we know, we have people approaching us with axes. And we're like, well, this is going to be an interesting story if we get to live and say something about it. They came out and they cleared the way with the axes so the car can make it to the village. We get to the village, and through two translations, they finally came to us and says, why are you here? We do apologize that the children ran away from you. They had never seen a white man before. They thought you were ghosts. Why are you here? And we explained to them that we had traveled all these miles to tell them one truth that there is a God and we want to tell you about him. And for the first time in my life, I was able to hear from the words of somebody else. They said, we have been praying, which they didn't really understand prayer, but they said, we have been asking because we know that there is a God. We know Romans 1, basically. They, don't, they didn't have it in their language, but they understood by looking around that there is a God. Would you tell us about him? We got to tell them about it, and they said, this is interesting, let us think about this. The next day, we shared the gospel again, and we saw five people enter into a relationship with Christ. How blessed we are that we have the Word of God breathed out in our language for us to take care of for us to be ambassadors of and to continue to proclaim the truth of what it is. And so it is very significant that we not only praise God for that, but we also praise God and that we spend time knowing it. We are blessed. We must not be ignorant of the word. We must know the scriptures and we must pass on the scriptures. We must know the scriptures, and when we do, we will see clearly by his grace that the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus Christ. The good news that Paul was preaching, it was, not, it was old news. It was not new. The Old Testament contains around 332 prophecies of Jesus Christ. Even Christ himself stamped all the Old Testament with his authority and said that he was not here to abolish it, but to fulfill it. 
Listen to Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, even heaven and earth pass away. Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. It is important to remember that Paul is writing to both Gentiles and Jewish Christians in Rome, making clear the gospel of God and breaking down any wrong beliefs they might have had in the church. When you and I have wrong beliefs, we do not go to a pope, we do not go to someone's opinion, we do not go to the pastor, we go to the word of God to understand what we are to believe and why we believe what we believe. All right, going back to verse 2. Which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. Let me be very transparent with you here and extremely straightforward. The gospel of God is about the son of God. Verse 3, concerning his son. The son of God is primary and he is supreme in all things. Two other extremely important truths from these verses. We find the promised Savior descended from David according to the flesh. So we find the seed of David and the promised Savior is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Paul is saying, I am a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. So this was not by accident. This was all planned by the Lord. Verse 3, concerning his son. So the gospel of God is about the son of God who descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus Christ is of the seed of David and the Son of God. Luke 3.31 informs us that Jesus Christ was born a descendant of David according to the flesh. How important that is because it was promised. And Jesus Christ being a descendant from David is a fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. We find this in 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 12 and 13. This is God's covenant with David. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The throne of his kingdom forever. This is the throne of King Jesus. It is the throne of King Jesus. Psalm 89, 3 and 4. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. We are not talking about a kingdom that is going to fade, that is going to fall apart, that is going to be persecuted by man. We're talking about a kingdom that will never fade, that will not perish, that hell cannot penetrate. The chosen one, the throne for all generations. This is Jesus Christ. It is his throne. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of Yahweh shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of Yahweh. And his delight shall be in the fear of Yahweh. He shall not judge by what his eyes sees or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide 
aside with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins." You see, the spirit of Yahweh rested on Jesus Christ. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, it rested on Jesus Christ. The spirit of counsel, of might, of knowledge, and the fear of Yahweh, it rested on Jesus Christ. That Christ judges with righteousness. That is who he is. Righteousness is the belt of Christ's waist and faithfulness is the belt of Christ's loins. This is who Christ is. This is what Paul was giving his life to because his Savior had gave his life for him. That he is living for Jesus Christ and he is preparing this church, teaching this church that there is one righteousness and that righteousness is Christ. In Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, he said, Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he shall be called. The Yahweh is our righteousness. So the righteous branch is Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus Christ is Yahweh is our righteousness. So Jesus Christ descended from David according to the flesh. And Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the promised Savior. He is the promised righteousness. I think it would be a mistake right now for me to move on and not cover something here. Something about Christ which we must understand. That Jesus Christ is eternal and preeminent. Jesus has always existed. He has always been. He is uncreated. He is first. Jesus is supreme. He is the pre-existent Son. We are not talking about someone who was created. We're not talking about a man who was on this earth whom God looked at and said, He'll do. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has always existed. He is a part of the Trinity. There is one God who is displayed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are all of the same essence. In Hebrews 1, we find long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. So Christ has always existed. He is the radiance radiance of the glory of God. Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. And Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, outside of Christ, there is no righteousness. Colossians 2, 8 and 9. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ, for in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. I was reminded this past week, being in Utah, that I am surrounded by a sea and flood of individuals who do not believe that. 
that they have been taken captive by the philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions. Even this morning, I was reminded as I was driving here, driving by church after church, who have added to the gospel or taken away from the gospel so that they could articulate what they wanted to articulate about the Lord. John 1, 1 through 5 and verse 18. In the beginning was the Word. Change out the Word with Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus was not anything made that was made. In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So when Jesus came to this earth, God came to this earth. Jesus Christ is eternal. Jesus Christ is preeminent. He has always existed, always been, not created. Jesus Christ is first, and Jesus Christ is supreme. Getting back to verse 3, it says, Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. So verse 3 speaks of the Son of God coming into human existence. It's talking about Jesus coming from heaven, coming to earth. When we hear the words descended from David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God in power, you need to know that Jesus Christ is God and he has always existed. The word declared in verse 4 means determined or fixed, or the best word is appointed. It's not he's declared this because this is what we need to do because of what he's done. It says Jesus Christ is appointed as this. That Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus Christ proved that he was God. He spoke of his death. He spoke of his resurrection. And it came to pass. The resurrection of Christ sealed the deal, so to speak. And provided clarity to or vindicated all of his teachings, and all of his miracles. Specifically within the Godhead, Jesus is the Son of God who came to, his, came to this earth by putting on flesh. God put on flesh, fully God and also fully man. That there is only one God, but this one God is revealed in three persons, yet one essence. Jesus was not a man who became God, and Jesus is not just a man. Jesus is the Son of God who came to this earth, put on flesh, atoned for the sins of those who would repent and believe, those whom the Father would give to him. That Jesus is God who came to this earth, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, all the prophets, all the Old Testament was pointing to this truth that there would be a promised righteousness. That promised righteousness is Christ. That's why Paul began his letter by saying, Paul, a servant of of Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the Son of God became sin, so that in him, if we are in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So God is a divine substitute. He paid the price for our sin, and he declared us righteous before the Lord. That's what he does. He declares us righteous before the Lord. So many individuals, so many religions, so many in 
People, when talking, when sharing their testimony, they talk about what they have done. You have done nothing for your righteousness. It is by Christ. In Hebrews 4, we find, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. So we can draw near because of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, because he is righteousness. Our high priest is the Son of God. There is no human being that is a high priest. The son who put on flesh, who was tempted and yet without sin. His throne of grace will not end and we can draw near to that throne of grace. His throne of grace will forever stand and we can draw near. We can receive mercy. We can receive help because of the righteousness of Christ. You see, verse 4 of Romans 1 is cause for celebration. It says, And was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So the Son of God who put on flesh, the Son of God remained sinless His entire life. The Son of God was crucified, He was dead, He was buried. The Son of God on the third day was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has always been God. But by rising from the dead, he is the Son of God in power. The one who fully accomplished the Father's will. Who perfectly obeyed the Father's will in all things. That when Jesus was questioned, I am here to do the Father's will. Jesus did the Father's will. And now he sits at the right hand of God the Father. You see, the Son of God is Jesus Christ. He is Lord. Jesus is God. Because of Jesus, the Son of God, rising from the dead, his payment was received, his payment was accepted, and Jesus saves completely. He is God, the Anointed One. He is Master. He is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, as well as the Sovereign Ruler of the universe. You see, the Gospel of God is God's Gospel, and the Gospel of God is the Gospel of His Son. If you take away Jesus, you take away the good news. Martin Luther also declared, Here the door is thrown open wide for the understanding of Holy Scripture. That is, that everything must be understood in relation to Christ. John Calvin said, The whole gospel is contained in Christ. Therefore, to move even one step from Christ means to withdraw oneself from the gospel. It's not Jesus plus whatever you want it to be. It's Jesus plus nothing is righteousness. Jesus alone is our righteousness. The good news of God is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is his gospel. It is not ours, and we cannot change it. If Christ is absent, the gospel is absent. If Christ is absent, the news of being discussed and shared, and it's not God's gospel, it's not good news. To speak of God's good news is to talk about sin, the law, grace, forgiveness, righteousness, justification, depravity, the cross, the payment that must be made, heaven, hell, repentance, trust, confessing, 
calling, the blood of Christ, the redemption of Christ, continuing to believe, holding fast to your confession. If you don't hold fast to your confession, you never believed it to begin with. It was not of God, it was of man. See, the good news of God is the good news of Jesus Christ. To speak of Christ is to speak of why God sent His Son. This is why we must understand as he's declaring, I am a servant of Christ. I'm called to be an apostle. I'm set apart for the gospel of God. To be set apart for the gospel of God is to understand that you and I have a major problem and that's sin. To speak of why Christ had to come. To speak why God had to pay what he paid is to speak of sin and to realize that without Christ we have no payment. We are dead, we are wretched, and we are hopeless without Christ. To speak of Christ is to speak of why God sent his son. Yes, we talk about God's great love. I'm not saying that we don't. But we must also speak of our great depravity and our natural fallen wicked state before a holy God. Why did there have to be a payment? Why did all the Old Testament speak of a payment that was going to be made? Why was the promise of righteousness made? Because we are wicked. Sin must be discussed as well as repentance and belief. Because without the righteousness of Christ covering the soul of an individual, covering the soul of a man, woman, or child, or youth in this room, you will stand before God guilty, not clean, without salvation, and God will throw you into hell where his righteous anger is poured out for all of eternity. You need Christ. Without Christ, you have no righteousness. You see, the gospel of God, it is God's gospel, and the gospel of God is the gospel of his Son. So we must know the Son, so we must know the Old Testament, we must know the New Testament, and we must know that the Son is Jesus Christ. The good news of God is the good news of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the grace of God. That Jesus is the seed of David. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the promised righteousness, the only true righteousness. So go to the Word and know Christ. Don't just listen to what other people tell you about Christ. Just don't read or listen to podcasts or study books about what people say about Christ. You go to the Word if you are to know Christ and to know what others are saying is true or not. We must go to the Word. It's in Christ that we find rest for our soul. It's in Christ in which we live. We find rest for our weary soul. And by the way, Christ is the only one in whom we can find rest for the soul. Find rest from your anxiety, for our God does not change. Go to Christ. And every generation that we find, The Lord is going to sustain his church. In this generation now, as much as we hear about and see, the Lord is sustaining his church now. The Lord is preserving his church now. But in every generation, his church must stand and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel of God. And I'm asking you, Will this be you? For the time that the Lord allows you, for the seconds and the minutes that the Lord gives you in this life, will you proclaim God's gospel? Because Jesus Christ is Lord. 
We are to stand in his glorious righteousness and we are to serve him. We just don't stand. We stand and we proclaim. So are you standing on God's gospel for your salvation? Or are you standing on what God has said and what you have said? Take I out of it and it must be Christ alone. Do not delay in thinking upon this. Are you saved? Is Christ truly your righteousness? Do not put off this eternal question. Are you justified by Christ alone or are you wicked before Christ? Without Christ, you are lost. Without Christ, you are weary. You are restless. You are hopeless. Go to Christ. Call on Christ for salvation. You must be saved by Christ or you are guilty before the Lord with no salvation. When you are reminded of what Paul, who Paul was before the Lord saved him and who Paul was after the Lord saved him, it changes everything. There's something popular that Christianity is like to say over the time, grace changes everything. They say that a lot. Grace changes everything. If that is true, has grace changed every area of your life? Has grace changed what you live for? Has grace changed what you talk about? Has grace changed what you proclaim, what you speak up on? That is true. This is what we find in the apostle Paul. He's saying, I am a servant of Christ. I've been called to be an apostle. I've been set apart for the gospel of God. We must be saved by Christ or you are guilty before the Lord because we must go to Christ. He is the promised righteousness. But that promised righteousness is something that we not only stand upon, it's something that we also proclaim and we teach and we pass on because we are the church who has been entrusted with God's gospel. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your holy word, how clear and articulate it is that it is inerrant, it is, does not have any errors at all, it is sufficient, we don't need anything else. You are done speaking, your word is clear, your righteousness that you have provided for us for our sin is your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, may we stand in Christ, rejoice in Christ, give you thanks and worship you. Father, we know grace changes everything. Not only for eternity, but grace should, should change everything for the here and the now. That the gospel that saved us should be the gospel that we're living for. Lord, thank you for forgiveness that is found in your Son. Father, Spirit, Son, may you do a great work in us this week. Reorder our lives so that we are living for the gospel that we say we believe. That you have purchased us. We are your slave. You have called us. We did not call on you. You called us. And you have entrusted us with the gospel of God to go and proclaim it. 
Father, if we don't rest in you, if we don't run to you, if we don't spend time with you, we're not going to proclaim the gospel. Help us to think upon the righteousness that we have in Christ. Help us to think about your great love for us. Father, reorder our lives so that we can say, we as your people strive to live for your glory and for your name, to know you and to enjoy you and to live for you day in and day out. We thank you for the righteousness of Christ and we beg of you, Lord, draw the lost to you. Through your word, show everyone that they are sinners in need of a Savior, Lord. Through your word, Lord, may they come before you and call on you for salvation. There are lost children here. There are lost adults here. Lord, save the lost and use us as we proclaim your gospel to see the dead come to life. And we pray all this in Christ our righteousness. Amen.